This is your host, Sam Jarocki from J-Rock Lawn Care and Gardening. Speaking about all things lawn care, garden related and business wise, whether you do this at home for a bit of fun or if you're trying to break into the business, sit tight and enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to this week's J-Rock's Green Industry Podcast. Here we are again, back with another interview this time with Jack Churchman from Cook Crew Limited, and here is episode number 78. So, Jack, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing, mate? I'm really well, thank you. I'm really excited to be on here, avid listener. Happy days. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's been really appreciated. Obviously, this is probably, well, it is the first in which people's already heard of you through the podcast, but not as an interview. So when you covered with John, obviously people got to hear a bit about you anyway and about you know the businesses and some of the things that you do in the background like the sort of the mentorship things like that but I think you know I've had a few messages about that and I think people thought that was really useful to know that there's that um that source to be able to tap into but this one is more designed about you specifically so it's everything about you sort of as a person the business ethos as such and kind of how you've came from doing what you did prior and into what you're doing now so yeah, I yeah, mean, absolutely. the best thing to do is just to kind of kick off and just, if you can tell us a bit about yourself and your business, sort of what you did prior, what led you into this line of work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Jack Churchman, uh, originally from kind of a Bedfordshire area, um, kind of secondary school. And then I, I um, struggled a lot with what I wanted to do in the future and ended up uh, signing up and um, joining the military. Um, when I left the military, uh, I found myself as a project manager for a large um, European um, kind of uh, business and then fell back into truck mechanics. Um, I think I lasted about a month and set up as a sole trader. So, yeah, um, it was. Yeah, I found the transition extremely tough and just kind of uh, wasn't happy, if I'm honest. I, I was um, struggling quite a lot with mental health difficulties etc and um love being outside and just wanted to create kind of my own sh- sh- schedule if that makes any sense yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah the way I, f- I fell into it is uh as you probably know in the military you've got to do quite a lot of uh like community-based activities um and i wasn't one kind of sitting uh, at a supermarket collecting coins so yeah uh, I, I i kind of developed a little um thing on facebook that was my name how i started jpc garden service and i'd literally go around to anyone uh vulnerable um or elderly and we'd we'd uh carry out garden services for free um and i, I did that for a long while um but yeah was, we did a, quite a few community projects kind of creating better environments uh for people hard landscaping projects and things like that all, all free of charge and then it got to that point where I was unhappy and I was like, hang on a minute, I'm going to turn this in, into a business. And mm. and that's what I did. Wow. So, so I mean, because I love that you sort of touched on the military part there. You know, I've actually met, I say met, I've talked to quite a lot of people that fall into this industry after the military. And I do wonder if it's something about, I mean, one is what I kind of laugh at is after being a, to such a strict routine, I suppose, you know, you always... Yeah with orders or whatnot, you always know where you got to be the next morning, what time, sort of almost what's on for the day. And, yeah. you know, you're kind of baby fed 
no matter what age you are in the military, you're to a degree baby fed along the way of, you know, be here, this is the time you need to be there, this is the kit you need. And um, you know, I do wonder if part of it is that one, people do get to make their own scheduling, they get to, you know, create their own path and kind of do what they want to a to a degree. I hope that sits comfortably with people. But you know, the other one is that I think people are that used to being outdoors and that used to being physically active that the thought of sometime regressing right into say like I don't know a computer job or you know behind a desk just doesn't sit well with everyone and I'm not speaking for everyone here but I think it's one of the factors that drives people towards this sort of line of work from the military and at what point did you sort of well how long did you serve in the military first? Um, I did nine half years yeah okay so um, a a fair while to try and transition. It's a good Um, stint isn't it 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 sort of ingrains in you that's it. And I was kind of faced with, um, so I wasn't medically discharged, but I was left in a position where I couldn't um, deploy or carry out duties deploying. Um, so I kind of, I was in and out within two weeks when I found out the news that I couldn't fly. Um, I was kind of uh, knocking on the OC's door saying, look, I found a job. I want to get out. I'm I'm, I'm filling someone else's seat. Um, yeah. so it, it was a bit of a mad rush, but, um, but yeah, so we had, uh, luckily, we already ha- had a house lined up and stuff. So that was one less thing to worry about. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, jumping straight out uh, within about two weeks. Wow. I was out of form. So, yeah. Wow. And I mean, to put this into perspective, like, you know, anyone that's never sort of been surrounded by military or anything like that, you you don't fully realize how much the military, uh, not bubble wraps you, but how much it supports you. And I don't think even a lot of forces personnel that are still serving realize that, you know, your medical care is there, your dental care is absolutely free. You know, you're getting paid every month, no matter what happens, you know, if you're sick, you break your knee, you're paid. Like you don't really, you don't go down any money to a degree, unless you mess up, but you don't go down any money. So you are surrounded by this, um, you know, this, like I say, little bubble wrap almost where when you do leave for a lot of forces personnel, it's a very, it's a very obvious change because oh what i've got to pay to go to the dentist now you know if you don't go any chess or you know i've got to do this or i've got to pay for that or i've got to make sure this happens and the military just takes care of nearly everything so with that short turnaround then how long would it have been from the point of leaving to actually starting up yourself what does that time Uh, frame look like yeah so probably around six months um as i said i did a uh um i had a job that I lasted probably three and a half, four months in. Um, and then I did have a, a another another job after that. Um, but what I was doing, I was, I was working kind of split shifts. So um, it's probably about six months after that I set the business up. But what I was doing is um, to try and mitigate the risk a little bit is obviously working one shift and then going straight out and working on the business. And then when it got to the point where I was earning more money doing the business. That's when I, I kind of jacked it in and went full time with it. Yeah. So how long were you actually working part time on the business? And what what does that time frame sort of look like? Probably around eight nine months. So I was I just wanted to get through the winter, and um, mm-hmm. I, I think I spoke about it last time I was on with John. But uh, that was the hardest bit for me because I had the work and um, I, I had some really good projects lined up, but I kept deferring them just because of yeah. like, self doubt, I guess. Um, but yeah, I I actually probably could have done it maybe four or five months earlier than I did. 
Um, but I just wanted to hold out for the beginning of the season, kind of fresh start, go for it. I think, you know, I th- I've said it once before on this podcast, I think, if you ever get the, because it is a leap to then jump into the business and this this business that we're in, it's so, it's so client-orientated, obviously. Like, you need to be able to build up clients and build up them relations and build a name for yourself that, you know, I would advise anyone that if you're thinking about it and you're in a job that you hate or don't like or want to move from, that having some form of grace period where you start up on a weekend or, you know, you just start chipping away in the background, I would highly recommend it. I mean, how much, I know you could have moved quicker, but how much do you think it assisted you to be able to establish pretty much while still having, you know, a safe income coming in? Do you think that played much part? I don't think I would have done it. I, I don't think I would have set a business up. I'm, I, I'm very like, uh, I'm a very like logical thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, well, nine nine times out of ten, <laughs> running a business has has changed that. But before, I was very cautious, and things had to have statistics and logic behind it. Um, that's kind of gone out the window now. I've I've run a business, but. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of I couldn't get my head round again coming from the military. I still hadn't fully developed into civilian life, so I couldn't get my head around why people would want me. Yeah. Um, even like, I don't understand. What do you mean people pay to get their gardens uh, maintained or, or yeah. landscaped? As we said, we live in this little military bubble where you go out on a Saturday in married quarters and every lad's got their top off mowing the grass <laughs> having a pint. So, yeah. Um, like, yeah, it just baffled me that, people had either had that money to do that or or, or people wanted that service yeah um, so yeah i definitely come from a a, a bubble yeah I, I think that's it and you know obviously they call it limiting beliefs don't they and like w- i was speaking to dave actually warner on the phone about it today saying that we almost it's quite easy to put a ceiling you know you build it at your own height and then yeah. it's just there and you go even when it comes to the money side of it in the beginning and you go, surely no one would pay more than £200 a day for, you know, for yeah, doing a yeah. garden. And then it's not until you kind of get in and you go, well, hold on, they're going to if the job's the right job to do it for, you know what I mean? And yeah. half the time you do, like like you just said perfectly there, is it's your own beliefs that kind of, yeah, put a seal on top of things. And it does take a bit of, I think it's only experience because someone can tell you that, oh, don't be silly, charge 400 yeah, and, yeah. But but that's got no impact. You almost need to learn it yourself where you go, hold on, my body's knackered. You know, I had to research this, this and this. I've then, you know, because I've done them five jobs prior, I've been able to then do this one better. OK. And like, you know, you start learning from your own experiences that help them jobs be more worth it. And it does take a little while to get over. Um, Since you came from, I mean, I'm guessing you started off mainly hard landscaping then. Or was the garden yeah, working so- there as well? I missed a little bit of the details out. So my um my granddad was a business owner, um and he owned a a um a haulage repair centre. But with his kind of spare money, he would develop houses. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I had proficient knowledge in that when I left. It weren't kind of like I just picked some tools up and, <laughs> and um, yeah. Um. So yeah, that's kind of how I mainly mainly started was uh, hard landscaping jobs. Okay. Um, mainly in the residential uh, sector. And then it, I had like a sequence of bad events, basically, where um, I had a, a one, I got stung by a non-payer. 
um vans blowing up and things like that and it was just i was looking at it on paper and i'd I'd started doing maintenance and i was looking at it on paper like hang on a minute on yes my turnover is extremely high but also a lot's going out the door if if one thing goes wrong say for example i don't know the grab lorry has a as a a fault and it doesn't turn up at two o'clock you can find yourself three or four days behind quite quickly yeah. And um, obviously with wages going out the door at one time, we had kind of five or six lads on site. Um, so, yeah, it, it was the, the stress was becoming more and more and more. And I think the last um, kind of payment that was getting squandered and uh, had to go the legal route just really took it out of me. And that was the, the nail in the coffin mm. to proceed with just maintenance. But it's all a learning curve. Uh, yeah. You have to you have I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it at all. You've got to have those real hard times because you learn to work your set, work your way around it, and find a, a logical way out of it. Yeah. So, what was it that that sort of enticed you towards the maintenance side? Then was it the fact that it was just like a lesser? I mean, I know it isn't now, and I, we'll talk about the machinery you have and stuff pretty shortly. Yeah. But, but um, in the beginning, it is a kind of a lesser overhead, and if a mower goes down, it's a lot easier to replace. You know. Yeah. To, to cut another lawn than what it might be you know xyz so w- what kind of from that decision like to go to maintenance other than obviously them was it an easy transition no so well so as i said we'd already had quite a lot of maintenance um clients on the books anyway and that was coming with its own struggles trying to kind of juggle between the lads and the team um you know, who's going to do the maintenance and then meeting at site and doing the rest of the shift. So we, we did have a good good maintenance on the book. And to be quite honest with you, um, sports turf has always kind of interested me. And I've always kind of, if you if you delve into my YouTube before I even have a, had a business, I was uploading how-to videos on how to rejuvenate lawn and stuff. Yeah, I've um, seen them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really shocking, please. <laughs> Um, no, go watch them, everyone. If you're hearing this, come <laughs> over. No, but, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. So I'd always been kind of in the realm of um, in in the maintenance realm, and it's something I'd passionately loved. It. As I said, I used to do it for free. Um, so yeah, it was just a really easy transition for me. Um, as I said, we already had people on the books, and I knew what to look for and and how to look for it. I think the hardest transition was when I went residential to commercial. Well, that was actually going to be my mess. My next question there. You're more, is it a hundred percent commercial you are at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Unless it's kind of like, this sounds really bad, but unless it's kind of like a director's house yeah. or, you know, like one of the facilities managers house, you know, just help yeah. them out. Um, keep them sweet. Obviously. Yeah. Well, no, it's not even about keeping them sweet. It's you have a conversation with them and they will come up to you and be like, Oh, I've had a quote for X amount. And I'm brutally honest. I say, mate, that's a really good deal. Take that. Or I'll say you're getting mugged off there. Um, <laughs> we'll come and help you out. We, we can do it for this. Um, so there's never any like pocket linings or anything like that. Of it's course. just, they, they've got, they've already got that trust with us because we're maintaining their sites. Mm. It, it's just an easy, uh, exchange in business. Yeah. So how did that transition look then? Because I think it's always quite a prime conversation. You know, I think we speak about it quite a lot. And dare I say this sort of, you know, the last three months or so, like going into this year, has been the most I've seen people, especially on things like Lone Care Legends pages, you'll know, people are talking about, I'm wanting to take the dive into commercial. You know, yeah. what do I need to know? How do I do it? 
you know, how yeah. did that journey look for you? Was it drop, kind of drop a residential as you get a commercial? Like, how did the whole process look through your eyes? Um, so I was very, very bullish with it. Um, in, in, I probably went about it the wrong way, if I'm honest. But I was looking at it as if, okay, so if I've got a street that's got four clients down it, maybe I'm making, I don't know, let's just pluck a figure out of the air, £100 for, I don't know, an hour's work down that street with two or three lads. Can my time be used better? So that hour and a half or hour I've spent on site getting there and things like that, if I was to use that time to sit on the computer, formulate lists, go door knocking, email campaigns, getting in front of people, is my time better off used doing that? And that's kind of what I did. So I very slowly started. Um, I didn't drop the customers. What I did is I passed, it, passed them on to uh, a trusted residential gardener in my area um and at the time they were actually part-time and he's gone out on his own now mm. um but yes yeah, that that's the way i kind of done it i just thought in my head like this is a waste of time i just had a bee in my bonnet and um just used that time it, it was literally like i'd sit down at the beginning of the month and say right this is the next block of customers that have got to be transferred um and in when i'm normally servicing them what i'll do is x y and z i'll email campaign or go knocking on doors or go to a networking meeting and that's that's how i dealt with it so i, I didn't choose the safe route i probably could have done a lot safer um but to be honest with you it was really good timing for me because we had a couple of really good hard landscaping jobs lined up that were straightforward and easy and they were commercial jobs so when it was at a phase in the project where i didn't have to be on site i'd utilize that time so the lads would be on site still earning the wages and paying the bills um, and I'd be out prospecting. Awesome. I think that shows though, doesn't it? That, you know, I mean, it's a bit harder for those that are maybe by themselves, but if you're, it's almost all the box thinking, isn't it? If you can think yeah. of a way where you can do both, where you can still be earning through and then making that push at the same time, or even yeah. I suppose usually if if you maybe take a day off through the week because you will have to work Saturday and Sunday because of whatever clients you've got, however it might work, then instead of taking that day off, you then go do the door knocking. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of push I feel is required. There's a, a lot of persistence before you start getting your name into them circles. What kind of ways? I mean, you you touched on there, you know, like your email campaigns and flyer flyers and door knocking, whatever it may be. Yeah. How did you find breaking into the actual commercial side, though? I know this is something you've been asked several times online. Yeah. Um, um, really hard, really hard. I'm not going to paint it in pictures. It's hard work. But once you're you're in the domain and you're in the circles, um, it's fairly easy to find work. I think Scott Elwood brushed on it um, when he was on, on your show. Um, I, I could, I've, well, I'm looking at an email list now. I've got 10,000 uh names on a list um we sent out maybe two three weeks ago we've had 11 replies and three quotes from that so it's militant and but the thing is with commercial is they're they're extremely busy people these facilities managers and you don't know if they've highlighted flagged your inbox but not bothered getting back to you um so it could be months or years down the line where oh you sent me an email blah 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 um so yeah you don't get instant results with commercial um 
it's not like residential where they can say yes on the doorstep. They might be tied into a contract. Yeah. Um, they might not be able to answer there and then because they've not got a scope agreed for the next three years or anything like that. So there's lots of variables with it. But once you do gain your first amount of um, contracts, then you've got a good set of references. And um, if you, as long as you do a good job, then word word will pass around the councils and the schools and things like that i think that's a the big one is is the councils and the schools everyone sort of sees them and you know it's very typical to look and they've all usually got big enough open areas big green playing fields whatever it might be and naturally i feel like you zorb into them areas and you go that's what i want you know and that, that's where i want to go how how much of a difference do you see from something like an email campaign where you know, people might use a server like MailChimp, for example. You can send out yeah. you know, a certain budget of uh, to so many names for free. So if, if anyone's not doing the email campaigns at the moment, then MailChimp might be one to go check out. I don't know if you know any, any difference there of any other ones that are good to use. Uh, yeah, there are a few out there. And to be honest with you, I don't know them off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, I've kind of got uh, a team of people that do it uh, yeah. on, on my behalf. But um. I can't remember the name of it. I've oh, flopped, I've flopped on that one. Um, but yeah, no, MailChimp's a, a great starter. Mm. Um, great thing about MailChimp, a lot of people don't know, is it's owned by Intuit. And Intuit is a massive company that owns QuickBooks and Xero. Yeah. So it's fully integratable and you can actually track the whole sales process if you delve into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would definitely start with, even if you're sending, I'd set my goals. If I'm not doing it at the minute, a lot of people are scared to do email campaigns because they think that they're not going to get results. Um, and I've, I've probably contradicted myself about <laughs> 10 minutes ago when I said I've sent 10,000 out, but if you can kind of set a goal of, even if it was 10 a day, um, set a goal, I'm going to send 10 templates a day out to customers and you'll, you'll gain that confidence and, and hopefully response. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it even from checking in, even checking in with clients. So, you know, depending on what people's email campaigns might be, you know, you might be doing it to source work, you might be doing it to look professional, you might be doing it to just advertise other things that you're bringing on that's new to the business. I find that, you know, quarterly if I can, I was a bit lackish with it last year, but especially a couple of years prior that, you know, any client I would take on, you know, I would ask for the permission to use their email for marketing as long as they say yes. Um, I, I would add them in there and if it was something like it was coming to time time of the year to put treatments down I would send a blanket templated email out to all my clients and it comes across you can change the background so it looks really official you can put all your um all your social media handles on there you know there's so many ways that you can decorate design uh, these emails and they're very simple to do may I add through something like MailChimp but even through that you know I would get clients to I would almost end it out and just do it for an info piece. And yeah. I was almost surprised myself when, you know, your clients get back to you and you go, you know, it might even be happy new year, Sam, I received your email. Oh, it's great that you're doing this next year, blah, blah, blah. So people do take it in. And if it's not yeah. something you're doing currently, then, you know, like you say, it's great. Even if it's practice to then work up to send them in a different form, more to sell yourself, then yeah, yeah it's practice. How much of a difference did you see from doing things like that to actually going and knocking on a door, you know, walking into, I don't know, a commercial facility and saying, excuse me, is the facility, get my word out, facility managers uh, in to be able to talk to. 
did you see yeah. any difference in response massive difference i think a lot of people uh the first person you're faced with when you're knocking on the door is a receptionist and they're what they're what i call the um the bs filter so <laughs> The receptionist's main job is to protect the business from people coming in. Um, you know, I could I could be trying to sell them whatever, and they they've got to politely deal with that person. Or if it's something really important, then they get on the phone to whoever that person needs to speak to. But get past the ball, sorry, the BS filter is very difficult. Um, I'll never forget that we we're very local to Aston Martin, um, the main Aston Martin dealership. And I walked in there one day thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah, we we, go. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut your grass. And to be honest with you, the receptionist was very pleasant and she got the general manager and I even managed to nick a free, free coffee from them. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, you don't get past the filter, whether if you've got the email address that the person that you need to speak to, you've already got f- p- uh, past the first couple of stages, um, if that makes sense. So you're already in in front of who you need to be in front of and another another thing i'd say just kind of scuttling back a little bit is a massive difference i've found on mailchimp is actually utilizing video um okay so a, a campaign that we've just done with the parish councils I, I created a video and it was just like hi introducing myself introducing the team explaining the kit we've got this is all within kind of 50 seconds so it was really like attention grabbing Mm. um and showpiecing some of the work we've done and there was hardly any text on it and if you get an email like that it's just like we're personalizing the intro so hello i don't know angela or or whoever it may be check this video out i think it might um i I think it might uh add value to your organization um and yeah the the amount of clicks because obviously i was monitoring all the analytics and i got far more clicks and opens utilizing video than they did just tech so i definitely recommend uh trying to bring that in um and again if you're in a residential domain if you can get a customer on camera and do a video testimonial it mm-hmm. absolutely works wonders because people get jealous of other people's lawns and yeah all sorts starts going on but definitely i mean with that we're 100 within the era of that aren't we where more often than not people would rather watch like even there a minute video then read through seven paragraphs of you saying what qualifications you have and what equipment you have yeah. and all the people you look after. And by the time they get to paragraph three, they just go, we don't need this and get rid. Whereas with a video, I mean, I haven't even thought about doing that on email campaigns. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's really, I'd be interested give it a go on your next um, newsletter and let me know the results. Cause it, honestly, uh, I think it's that old age uh, quote of um, a picture speaks a million words, but if we if we example for example are scouting for football clubs, if I'm stood on a pitch that we've just rolled up, it's just had a, a season full of verti draining, seeding and fertilizer and all that stuff, and it's looking its absolute best. Mm. And I'm sending them a video saying, Why is your pitch not looking like this, boys? Like <laughs> uh, you're not only they are engaged, like, oh, how did you do this or that? Even if you can give them at something for nothing a little bit of advice your foot's in the door and they'll remember you so yeah that's awesome that and it's that personal touch isn't it one thing um i used to always like doing was at the end of a if i did a one-off job and the client couldn't be there i used to like doing a, a video walk around and what inspired yeah. me actually is if anyone's ever taken the vehicle to Arnold clock to be serviced they'll know that you get an email you know at the end before you pick it up 
and it's like, hi, I'm Darren from Arnold Clark, you know, whatever branch. This is what we've done today. I've checked your four tires. And they walk you around your own car and they show yeah. you everything they've done. And you so you can see it when the car's on the lift that, you know, everything's been sorted. And, you know, I, anyway, that got stuck in my head. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try that with my clients. And they really respected the fact that I took the time to walk them back around the garden, introduce myself again, and just said, like, thank you for taking on our services. I've sent your invoice over. I hope you're happy with everything I've showed you today. If not, please get back in touch with me. I'm more than happy to help. And, you know, just that personalized video, people go, oh, well, that's fantastic. You know, five-star review, uh, review then follows on Google, how professional you are. And it is. It's just that little bit extra. It just goes such a long way. I, it, it's a massive time saver as well. I don't know if um, we, we do the same um, with our, our clients and any aftercare that needs to be thought about will also go on the video. So instead of you getting a phone call every five minutes, what did you say about the watering <laughs> radio? They just have to refer to that. So not only is it a great way of building rapport um, and, and increasing professionalism, but it saves you a lot of time as well. Mm. Um, you've not got to stay on the phone for 10, 15 minutes every couple of days, reminding them and, and things like that. So Absolutely. So what's the... Obviously, there's pros and cons and everything. And, you yeah. know, some people like to say stay residential just because, you know, whatever them reasons may be, it might be the fact that you like the smaller gardens, you don't want to invest in the bigger kit, or you're just happy with what you're doing. And, you know, some people like to stick with commercial because they want to drive the business a bit higher and, you know, just a different scope of what they're after. What is the biggest pro and con you find with going with commercial? Uh, so the pro for me, and it's the reason why I went into commercial is, is I've mentioned it before, is it's a necessity. Um, schools, parish councils, they have to provide a safe uh, environment outside for for their uh, residents or for their pupils. Um, so we're always going to be needed. So in the residential game, you're heavily competing on on price as it, in my opinion, it's a, a luxury service um whether in the commercial game you are um you're kind of rated on your customer service your your ability to deliver um and yeah it's, it's steadfast money you know the budgets the budgets aren't always as high as residential i think that's a massive myth um for commercial work a lot of people think it's kind of like a high earner it's really not uh if anything they're more more um strict on on their budgets and what they'll pay per item and things like that but it's guaranteed work because they need it mm. and not only that if they do want to uh move on to another contractor for whatever reason i've got notice i've got at least three months notice it'll be written into the the service level agreement that they have to give us x days or we have to give them x amount of days so there's just that agreement between both parties that you know you've got a certain amount of time to sort your stuff out which makes it really easy uh obviously forecasting and budgeting for you, for your business um that's one of the biggest pros for me is probably the certainty yeah. and um and yeah definitely building relationships it sounds really uh like cliche and but when you do finish off at a school in the summer at seven o'clock and you see all the kids and running out there and they're all absolutely buzzing and the PE teachers coming up to you saying mate this is the best the pitch has ever been and stuff like that or if you're working with football clubs um, yeah, it is just nice. It is just nice to see the bigger impact of it. You're kind of dealing with thousands of people that are directly affected by your work, which is nice. Um, yeah. The okay. cons, 
the cons oh god the cons i could write a book on it <laughs> um the co- biggest cons for me is it depends who you're working with parish councils are extremely good at paying because they're stipulated by government policies local government policies and what i mean by that is when they pay so when they get an invoice they'll have a policy an internal policy to say that has to be paid otherwise someone's getting an ear bashing but <laughs> with with schools uh especially schools or kind of large block management companies that have got loads of sites your invoice could be sat there for 45 days 50 days um I mean, we're we're literally today only just receiving money from November, so the money can be really long. That's probably the biggest con for me, and and most likely the only only con. That's that's mad, isn't it? Because I do. I mean, the one thing that you tied into there was originally you said about the contract that you kind of contracted there, and certain things are in place. The biggest gripe I see, I think, with uh, sort of residential work is. You see a lot of people saying, I want to implement a service agreement, X, Y, Z. But, you know, unless this service agreement is for thousands and thousands of pounds, then you're you're never going to take it to legal anyway. This is is the issue I have because people always say to me, I get family members or other business owners saying, surely it's in your terms and conditions that they have to pay on time. Yes, it is. But if I go shouting at them two days after the invoice is due i've broken that relationship if i take it legal it's going to cost me more money and guess what i've lost the contract mm-hmm. um i'll pass it to a debt factoring company again um the, the relationship's destroyed so you're in a really tight place and you literally just have to batten down the hatches and and ride it out unfortunately yeah. um i've actually writing a letter um, this evening to my local MP to demand change for small businesses because luckily we're in a position now that we can stay afloat but when I was at the start of my commercial um, kind of delving into it I would have to get a, a short cash loan to pay wages and right. obviously that 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 incurs fees that incurs interest and things like that although the money was there you know it's my my, my managed accounts is telling me i'm owed 23 grand or whatever but it's it's not there so um obviously you've got to pay bills and pay wages and and things like that so there's always a delay in the money and money isn't worth now a thousand pounds wouldn't be worth a thousand pounds in a month's time because of inflation yeah. and, and things like that so it really grinds my gears. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet. But like, I mean, anyone. I mean, no one even likes being like a thirty-pound grass cut. You know, two yeah. weeks overdue. Never mind. You know, into the thousands. I think it's it, it is a hard one, isn't it? You can almost only try and do your best by that client and hope that the yeah. client is is on board enough that they they want to uh, get that paid as soon as they can, yeah. just because they want to help you. But I know it's not as easy as that. Do do you think there's any way around it? Um, I think that, in in my personal opinion, some of those organisations need a bit of a remodelling. They're kind of archaic in their organisational structure. So the facilities manager, he'll have the ability to sign off an invoice and send it to finance. But obviously he's in control, sorry, they're in control of their budget. Um, And, you know, we've had facilities managers in the past that are able to pay money um but nine times out of ten they're not it has to go to another uh 
branch in that organization and it will sit on their desk and they don't know me they don't know our team they don't know how much we go above and beyond for them mm-hmm. um and things like that so if it was the facilities managers uh if if she or he could click that button and pay the invoice we wouldn't have a problem but because it has to get passed through so many departments um you know if i asked you to pay a bill on my behalf it wouldn't be as urgent as if you were paying a bill for you if that makes sense yeah of course um, yeah you, you don't know my my client you're you're not really too fussed if they get their money and at the end of the day the facilities managers are stuck in the middle they've got to keep the site clear so if i turn around and say we're not coming it just adds too much pressure on them so yeah. we we always just keep the service rolling knowing that you know it will get paid at some point i suppose that's it especially with like an establishment like a main school or whatever it might be across that type of board is that you'd like to think that they would never do you out of it you know it's just yeah. a factor of not if but more when it's going to come you know but i suppose that's exactly the the reason of you know do you need a bigger pot to pick from like you're yeah. saying there as a backup but at some point you've got to take this jump and unfortunately i'm sure 99 percent of us out of here don't have a massive inheritance to like lie on or you know a big pot that someone's willing to just feed money into for you you know you'd need to work that pot up yourself and it's it's not always the easiest thing to do i suppose when you know you're going through this process no absolutely not and that's been my biggest learning curve um especially as the numbers get bigger and the number that we need to take every month gets larger it's immense pressure um but you always find a way i was chatting to a friend the other day who runs a plumbing business and um i was kind of moaning i was like look i need to find 23 grand by the end of today today basically um and we kind of joked about it and said oh it'll happen and it always does happen we always find a way but he turned around and said um he, he's a big plumbing outfit in, mm. in in our area and he was like it could be worse mate i've got to find 63 grand by midday and it's, it just wow. seems to be a theme within um the commercial sector but but yeah it, it never makes it easier no no absolutely right so if we just take a couple of seconds here just to go through this quick advert we'll be back in just a moment to discuss more things commercial employees and equipment alongside jack this episode is brought to you by Total Loan. Total Loan provides scientifically engineered loan care products to homeowners, hobbyists and loan care professionals. Their range of fertilisers and biostimulants will keep your loan looking lush, green and moss free all year round. I use Total Loan products for my customers and on my own loan and I think you should too. The team at Total Loan put quality above anything else when they're producing their loan feeds. They use ingredients that are rarely if ever used by their competitors to give you the best loan possible. Try Total Loan today at totalloan.co.uk and use code Care at the checkout to receive 10% off your whole order. Total Loan are so confident in their products that you can use them on your loan and if you're not happy with the results, you can get in touch with them up to 90 days later for a full refund. Go to totalloan.co.uk and transform your loan. Right, welcome back everyone. So as we are speaking about there, sort of more the commercial side and some of the pros and cons that come with it, uh, Jack just wanted to pass across there that, you know, if anyone is interested in this sort of side of things and to talk more further, maybe specific points, then, you know, please get in touch with them. Anyone that doesn't follow them on YouTube, and we'll speak about this at the end, you know, please look into it because, Jack, I must say, you know, you've got a very honest channel there. Uh, you know, you show so much of the ups and downs and 
I think realities are, is probably the the better term to, towards it, you know, yeah. of what goes on day in and day out. And, you know, anyone that comes across my YouTube, you know, I, I video a job and, you know, talk little about it. It's more there for, let's call it entertainment factor maybe. Whereas you show like literally the grizz, the grizz yeah. of it. I think it's important because um, I, I want to document everything so we're fully transparent. And at the end of the day, if there's a client that's not liking what I'm saying, um, then, you know, it will educate them as to our thoughts, even though I'm picking up the phone, but they can see see the knock-on effect from that. And um, if, if something's on there that they don't like, then um, it takes two to tango kind of thing, which, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I just, um, I get so many questions all the while um about kind of what we're doing and it's just a lot easier for me just to portray it in a video and try and answer those questions for people and there might be people out there that didn't want to ask didn't have the confidence so yeah i, I yeah. think if uh, if if this uh if they wouldn't like it on the video then they can change their processes um so to ensure that it don't go on there <laughs> well that's it i mean it just show that there is just so many ups and downs and like I would like to say at this point, you know, if you don't already follow Cook Crew Limited on YouTube, then definitely do so because Jack literally shows the ins and outs of each day from sort of well, all of the weeks, isn't it? You, you, the Behind the Blade series that you do at the moment is very much focused of week to week, how them, how they come together and what happens within. And the, like I say, the realities of it. One question I've got on it is, how did you come into it? You know, I know you did YouTube earlier on, like you mentioned, and I'm telling everyone, check out them videos of Jack and the Early Days. But you know <laughs> Oh god. But you know, how did you get to the point of doing, you know, behind the blade, I believe, is like your signature series as such, where you're showing, you know, everything that we're talking about now. What brought yeah. you to sort of saying, you know, there's a, not so much a market for this, but you know, that you wanted to get the word out of what you're doing week to week and what the industry was like. So there's a couple of things uh, that kind of persuaded me to do it. And I'll, I'll talk about each one and we can break it down. Um, the first one for me was just for, for personal reasons, if I'm honest. Um, I really enjoy editing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly creative. Um, I'm not very good at painting or anything like that. But um, I just really enjoy putting, putting videos together. Yeah. Um, I've said from the beginning, I, I really, really could not care if I had no subscribers, it's for me, it was about documenting the journey. Um, I, I wish I'd done it from day dot because it'd just be really nice to look back and say, Oh, you know, when you think you're having a really tough time mm. and, and you can just look back and go, do you know what? I've done this. Um, look where we've, we've started, look where we are now. And it just kind of resets your brain and you can carry on. Yeah. Um, that that no, I was just gonna say on on that that's it's a fantastic thing to to document, and uh, I think it's a powerful thing to have as well because so many times I feel like we just go through and you you get into this momentum swing of that's just how it is going you know back and forward. So to sometimes yeah. be able to tap back in whether it's notes that you keep each week. I know some people like journaling, you know. However, you might have this this creative outlet to document. Then I think it's definitely something. If you don't already do it, it's fantastic to do so. Sorry. Yeah. And another massive part of that was I was always getting people, uh, like say family members or friends wanting to know what I'm up to. And I'd find myself wasting about three hours a day, um, well, <laughs> you know, just telling them what I've been up to. And now I can just <laughs> say, send them a link and just say, have a look for yourself. And that's yeah. it. 
move on, which is really selfish. Yeah. But drop me a um, leg. <laughs> another another um, reason behind it was kind of obviously marketing. Um, so I, I was spending a lot of money on um, Google ads, Facebook ads, and kind of pushing pushing these um, these adverts out to to our client bases and target audience. And then I did start to delve into the research of it. And one of the biggest, um, biggest funders of advertising is YouTube. So obviously YouTube's owned by Google, but YouTube as an entity pays to um, rank its search histories and things like that. Because obviously they want to bring people to the platform in order to, um, you know, sell advertising and get people on the platform and, and get watch minutes, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, hang on a minute, I can market myself using someone else's budget. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was literally just that. It was pitting up videos, cut crew, grounds maintenance, East Midlands, Northampton, Milton Keynes. Now, if you type that into Google, YouTube's the first thing to come up shortly followed by our website because the backlinks have grown from the channel to channel. So basically I set it up to kind of use someone else's marketing budget. Um, and off the back of that, we have had actually some really good work from that. Um, okay. And it's re- really, really strange that when you go to a, um, it's a, I've had to adapt and get used to it, but when you turn up to a client that you've never met before and they know everything about you, <laughs> they know what jobs you've done and they've said, oh, we want it like this job. It was on episode so-and-so or whatever. It's really, really strange. But um, again, we've not been doing it long, only 15 episodes, but we've definitely seen work coming from it yeah um so so yeah and then the third reason um was accountability uh not only to myself again to be accountable for the journey and set set um targets and growth periods uh and things like that but when you whack when you've got a team and you whack a camera out everyone's on best behavior um (laughs) It's it's a, it's actually amazing how uh, we had discussions with the team when we started to do it and just said, look, who who's willing to go on it, who's not? Uh, and it was a really good reception. But when the camera comes out, uh, we do really high quality work anyway, but they just go that extra mile because they don't know what's going to be on that video. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what I found anyway. Um, so, yeah, the accountability side of it's great as well. And I would say if you've got a team, try and utilize it um it also kind of gives confidence to your team members if you're saying look do this job film this it's going to be in the video they've got a bit of pride element about it they can show their families what they're up to and it's just a really not nice touch for them uh obviously if they're they're willing willing to do it or, mm. or willing to go on the youtube but um but yeah it d- definitely gains a little bit of pride especially when um i've had instances where people come into work and they say, have you seen this comment about how good this looks blah 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 i've done that and you can see that it's visually like made made their day better so yeah. that was another reason was accountability um yeah so there were the main reasons yeah i think uh unfortunately i think there's a, a little bit of stigma that that follows youtube you know that yeah. if you're there videoing yourself you're a certain type of person or people may think this of me you know, while yeah. watching, and you know, dare I say, most people, I would like to think, unless you're like a born and bred content creator, you know, you're yeah. made for the dramatic arts, and you're just all about that life. But you know, for the for the normal average Joe that gets into YouTube that just fancies it, 
which was kind of like myself. I just fancied going on it. You know, there's always that thing there where you think, oh, you know, what if those back home see it and then, like, someone gives me stick? Or what if the lads from the pub, you know, see it? And you, you there's a bit of stigma. And it's mainly yeah. created by yourself that you're just going to get a bit of abuse for being on YouTube. But, you know, I, can, I can't highly, you know, push it forward that it does all them things that you're saying, but then it gives you that creative outlet. And half the time, I don't feel like... I mean, everyone should have a creative outlet. Let me yeah. just say that, you know, and even if it's, and I'm going to tie this to the business by saying everyone needs some form of downtime. And you could argue yeah. that this is kind of work, but if you do something creative and you're enjoying doing that process, you, you're you going to chill out. Trust me, like when you're sitting there editing the video and you're not stressed by it, you're just enjoying putting these clips together and you can see your own work, you know, forming. It's a very you know, fulfilling sort of thing. And you can learn a lot from watching yourself back. I don't know yeah, if you've no, done absolutely. that. Absolutely. That's another, going back to the accountability point, especially if we've got kind of like large scale projects or at the end of the week, we can sit down and say, this is the flaws that we've had this week because it's documented on video. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk about that. How are we going to overcome it? Who have I got to get on the phone to, to make your, your lives easier as a team and, and things like that. But, um, but yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and I've also found, so if you go back to the very start of my channel, um, the ones that I don't want anyone to watch. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I actually started YouTube. I'd just come out of a mental health facility. Um, I'd been sectioned for, for two weeks or whatever it was. And I it was in COVID and I, I couldn't stay in the house. And I just wanted to do something. I wanted to dedicate my time to something. And it was just a little project. And um, it's definitely helped. Um, and I, I'm 100% sure that you found the same thing. You get people reaching out to you um, and you're on the phone to them, give them advice, and they're having some of the bad, worst days of their life, uh, really struggling to get over things. And you sit them down or maybe on Instagram messages and you say, look, I'm not a subject matter expert on this. When I've had this in the past, this is what I've done. Um, and just being able to share... Uh, I know you said a certain type of person wants to be a YouTuber. I literally don't care what people think about me. Yeah. Um, I, I really, really don't don't care. I'd actually find if I started getting hate comments on YouTube, I'd find it funny. I'd yeah. kind of be like that Ricky Gervais kind of guy. Just yeah, it yeah. Um, but the people that you are spreading that message to is so impactful. That kind of what keeps you going a little bit. 100%. Um, and it's really nice. Like I'm sure you've had people reach out to you for advice, and and I'm getting people that have run twenty year old businesses that have got multiple regions mm. asking me. Uh, you know, I've, mate, you should you should know that <laughs> you should know that answer yourself. But just talking to someone, I I always try and draw the answer out of themselves. And, yeah. Um, no, it's really nice, and I, I think building the community such as this podcast such as the lawn care legend pages and other pages alike um just bringing everyone together as colleagues in the industry is is a good thing oh absolutely i think it's for something where you know a lot of people do work by themselves and you can be your own worst enemy at times having some form of access to, you know to speak to people that are just normal people you know what i mean me you you know normal people that people can get in touch with and the yeah you already yeah. feel, and I've done it, I've reached out to other content creators and and even just other lads that I've seen that have 
posted, whatever it might be on any of these groups. And you kind of, a lot of the time, feel like you already know them enough that you can, you can offlay to them, you know, because you've, yeah. you know, and we, you know, for those listening, me and Jack kind of touched on this prior to the podcast where I said, it's strange because, you know, with these questions, I've already seen so much of what you do and I've already feel like I know you more than what I probably do, but it's just through being able to, you know, you spend time watching people online and it, it grows that part. There is yeah. people out there, there is people to speak to, you know, and it, you know, whether it's a mental health sort of side to it or whether it's just you need advice that is simply just bugging you, then there's guys and girls to get in touch with for sure. Um, we spoke a little bit there about the fact that you've got clients and and the fact that you, ha- you had guys on your team that you asked to make sure that it was okay at video, things like that. With yeah. your employees, like how did that start? At what stage? Because obviously we, you also touched on the fact that you built right up to sort of five to seven people. You know, at yeah. what point did it come where it was very apparent that you needed to take on more boards and also what then caused you to desize? Um, yeah, so we we was at our biggest when I was uh, in the hard landscaping game and um, anyone that's done hard landscaping in the past, like big scale projects, knows that you can't get muck quick enough, you can't move materials quick enough and uh, the skilled people in the team, they just, it's like a constant revolving conveyor belt, just constantly needing, like we could go through 30 tonnes of sand quite easily in a day. Um so yeah, it was just um, I, I knew we needed more people because we were having uh, bottlenecks in the processes. So um, if you put that to maintenance, maybe there's a bottleneck where um, you know you you you've cut the grass, but someone else could be strimming up at the same time and alleviate time that way. We was just finding a lot of bottlenecks in the business, um, which obviously we introduced more people to eradicate them. Um, and then yeah, in terms of downsizing. Uh, it was actually a, a little bit, I'm going to call it a fate, um, that it happened. So we had a, a run of really bad, um, I'm going to call it bad luck. Uh, we was on an insurance job. It was quite a large scale um, project. And um, I had two lads um, hit with COVID, so they weren't allowed in. Um, I think one lad... Uh, injured himself broke his foot or something like that i can't really remember and we were left with like a skeleton team yeah um, and then the inevitable happened the other team member um had covid i spoke to the client and i said look i'm testing every day i've not um i've not attracted it if you're happy for us to crack on you know keep your your door shut we're outside um we'll crack on and we did with a real skeleton team it was literally me and one other and we were testing daily and just making it work and we actually beat the um the estimated time um it it was weird because we were working a lot harder as a as a duo um and i I was uh having to explain a lot more because this lad hadn't kind of um had as much experience as the lads that were off but we found that we were getting it done a lot quicker um and then when i found that furlough we were really lucky that we did have certain contracts allowing us to 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 carry on and as long as we stuck to the guidelines there was work but um there was people within the business trying to take advantage of um some policies and and, and things like that so um the inevitable happened they left the business and i just kind of kept going at, at, at a smaller scale then yeah um and then i've been working on so 
if you do watch the YouTube, then obviously you'll you'll know that we've got Ash. Um, that was a real big deal for me because Ash has got a plethora of experience. Um, he's kind of been in the commercial grounds maintenance game since he left school. Um, massive experience, and I I didn't know if I could afford someone um, with his experience. Um, and as a company, my ethos is to pay people above and beyond um, the kind of average within the area anyway so i'm like look to entice that type of person i have to pay out x amount and i was just really really scared um about committing to something like that and it's the best thing i've ever done um the workload has pretty much dropped 75 percent like as in my workload the stresses yeah. that i'm having to deal with on a day-to-day because ash has seen and, and done it before he comes up with his own answers I've not got a babysit him. If if I if I it's funny because I could say, do you think do you think we should do this for next week? I've already done it. It's ordered. It's it's yeah. done. Don't worry about that. You do this, and it's just really really nice. So I would say any of the um kind of uh, one person businesses out there, it is absolutely invaluable to have an experienced person with you. Um, as I get as I said earlier on it gives you the time to dial down prospecting and you've not got to worry and if you're worried about paying their wage they're worth their weight in gold um yeah i've i've kind of shared my vision with ash and i really hope that we can um fulfill that vision together and i'd really like to see um at the end of it when when we're retired still be mates and done the whole journey together yeah that would be fantastic wouldn't it it just shows almost the power of then investing you know, sometimes you can look and be like, I'll just get the cheapest guy possible. And, you know, then it's just an extra set of hands. And, you know, that's fine to a degree, depending on what you're doing. But I suppose when you are on these bigger commercial contracts and like you say, if you're paying someone in and he's covering, you know, your thoughts that you haven't even got wrong to doing yet, yeah. then, you know, that's that's worth so much more. One question with it is, you know, you spoke then when there was obvious bottlenecks, that's when you're like, right, well, I obviously need to start employing. Yeah. Was it the fact that it was literally bottlenecks or were you, this is my one case on it, or did you, were you financially ready as well? Or did you have to take that jump knowing that the first maybe month or so would be hard and then the work would come in to, you know, to assist both years? If yeah, you get so, what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the money wasn't there, uh, if I'm totally honest. But when you're employing someone, uh, what you've got to do is kind of look at the future it sounds i hate putting uh, we've spoken off air i hate putting values to people um because mm. i really do want to build like a, a a strong team where we're not just numbers even if i do scale the business to where i want to get it um i don't want people to feel like they're treated like that but yeah. if you're paying x amount for wages um obviously you've got the 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 training period that jack chapman spoke about amazingly last week on yeah. your podcast so I won't delve into that. Um, but if if you've got a period where they're not earning you any money and they're shadowing and they're training, learning your business's processes, regardless of how experienced they are, there's going to be, there's always going to be a point in time where they're not earning the business money. Um, it's not until you kind of put those processes in place where they're out on their own. Um, so in terms of is was the money there, there wasn't a massive pot of money for to pay, but I knew that there was, pots in those projects coming up mm-hmm. um where i could kind of drop the profit margin um and we're 
it's, it's really hard to explain, but we dropped the profit margin on that project. However, the profit has increased because we're finishing the job quicker. Therefore, there's less expenses. Yeah. Um, because if I've scheduled X amount for wages, but we've only done three weeks of of that, um, then obviously there's more of a pot on the wages front and, and things like that. So it does settle out. Um, yeah. But there's never, a, never a good time. Um, yeah. You've just got to find the, the right people within your business. I've spent wasted thousands and thousands of pounds on the wrong people. Um, and yeah. Uh, there's never a right time. You've just got to find the right person and stick by them when you get them. Absolutely. Because I think that's what's in a lot, like, you know, everyone knows I'm solo owned and operated, but it's in what's a lot, and I'm speaking for other people here, I suppose, as well, hopefully, is that that's what's in the back of the mind is, right, how much do I need to build up this pot to be able to get through the first three, four, five, six months, you know, just to make sure they're paid because, it's all well and good. I mean, I've had a couple of people reach out to me in the local area who I don't know, and they've just seen my business online, or they've seen the photos or the company pages, and you know they've asked me for a job because they think it, what I would like to think is that they think it looks like a really nice um, type of job to to work in. So yeah. what is you know I'm really grateful about, but you know in the back of my head there it's going right. But if I bring them on at the minute, then you know. I know there's this starting procedure of having to get them up to scratch or my level of scratch, whatever you may perceive that to be. And it's just, is that pop big enough to bring them on? Or, you know, do I need to have 15 grand sitting there just to make sure that, you know, they're sorted and, you know, I don't need to worry that they're, you know, we're going to hit a hard patch. So it's quite, I would almost say surprising to, yeah. to hear you say that the money wasn't there to begin with because, yeah. you know, I think you feel like, Sometimes it's easy to think that you need to be over-prepared before trying something, but there's got to be, I guess, uh, an element of gamble within this type of thing as well. So I'd agree and disagree with that. So I sat down, when we took Ash on, we we were 100% commercial and I knew uh, our monthly turnover um, in terms of uh, guaranteed work. So it made my decisions a lot easier. But what you've got to remember is it say, for example, someone like yourself, if you're, I don't know, going out doing a large scale hedge job, um, let's say it's a really large hedge and it's going to take you four days on your own. Yeah. Mm. And you're absolutely knackered, bootstrapped after it. Um, so potentially you've lost that fifth day as well, where on Friday you're just saying, do you know what? I'm just going to sort my paperwork out. I'm just yeah. going to sort my tools out. You've lost five days. If if you've got someone experienced um, by your side, guarantee you'll probably do the job maybe a day and a half, two days. Um, you can still charge the same amount of money for that job. Uh, if if anything, probably a little bit more because it, it brings a certain element to the table. You know, you've improved your customer service because one person's tidying up as you're going along at the end of the day. Um, they can see a lot more is done, et cetera, et cetera. So you can probably charge a little bit more anyway. You're doing that job a lot quicker, which means you've got more profit in that job. So realistically, you've bought yourself an extra day, um, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you're, if you're job done by Tuesday and you've scheduled nothing in for Wednesday, that's absolutely fine. You can use Wednesday to go out and prospect whilst... Um, Team number two, team lead, uh, team member number two can go out and do your little bits and bobs that you were going to do at the tail end of the week on your own. 
and then Thursday you could be back at it earning more money. So it does it does work out, and I, I probably found that our efficiency went up uh, maybe fifty to seventy percent with someone that knows what they're doing, and um, that allowed more time to make more money. If yeah. that makes sense, I no definitely, but I mean everyone can relate, and I would like to think anyone that's done any sort of amount of time in the industry that you do come across that job where you know the next i mean that evening and the next day you just feel wiped you know what i mean because it's just it's taken I'll so you, much out of you i tell I, you one thing as well though that i'll tell you another thing those 10 minutes add up so when mm. you're when your job done on that job and then you've got to go to the waste facility to get rid of your waste maybe you're talking 45 50 minutes and then you've got to travel home in that hour if you used to crack the laptop open and prospect or go around and book jobs in and look at quoting and things like that, that hour where the other person is doing, it sounds terrible, but the remedial bits and bobs, um, you know, you're using that hour to full effect. I always call it the power hour where I've left that. I've left the lads. All they've got to do is tidy up, go back to the unit, sort out the bits and bobs for tomorrow. But, they think I'm going home for an early knockoff. I'm not. I'm straight on that laptop. I'm knocking on doors. I'm sorting out bits and bobs for the rest of the week or, or selling, um, closing deals or whatever. So, um, yeah, that power hour is the little bits and bobs that sap your time at the minute will be real good cash generators for you. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I, I'd definitely say give it a go. I'd say a good, a good uh, ballpark would be try and save up two months wages for them. Um, the reason I say that is most, uh, most, um, if you're going to give them notice, you're going to have to give them at least maybe a month or two months. Um, so if it does go wrong, you've got a little pot there, uh, where you can be ethical and say, look, you, you, you notice is a month. I've got two months money. You've got two months to find work. I'm really, really sorry. Thank you for, um, coming on this experience. And that's going to be the worst case scenario, but I guarantee I guarantee it will double your turnover, even maybe two, two and a half times. Yeah. And I suppose all you're actually saying at that point is, you know, it's not like you need to explain, but you just say, unfortunately, it hasn't worked. You know, however yeah. you describe it to them. So almost, I mean, they're, they're in no worse position than what they would have been two months prior before you hired them. So, yeah. you know, as long as they're I, not coming out of a full career or something. But I think... um if both parties are extremely honest, that's one thing I've learned about hiring people is if both parties are extremely honest. So I always, um, with an interviewee, I always sit down and say, look, this is the position of the business currently. This is what it looks like. This is the day to day. This is our vision. So with Asher said, look, this is my vision. What I'd really love if in 10 years time or five, 10 years time, I'd love for you to be a re- regional operations manager. Um, share that vision with them, tell them the story. So they kind of understand um, the cruxes, the good, the bad, the ugly of a small business. And then at the end of the day, they've made that informed decision to join you as well. So you can't feel too, um, you know, you can't feel too onus on, on that decision. It's, it's been a decision made by both parties. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing, like what you said there, sitting them down and being able to go through that. I mean, how, how key is it, you know, how many people have sat down with an employer and been talked into a job that isn't what the description said? You know, it gets it gets done far too often that, you know, you think something's going to be one way and you get there and you go, well, this is actually, 
you know, it's, it's nothing like the adverts or it's nothing like what was advertised to us, you know. And I think the whole relationship, especially what I imagine being your first employee, I've always thought this, that the first employee I bring in, to an extent, obviously depending who it is, I would, in an ideal world, like them to be, how you've said with Ash, you know, the regional manager. You know, I want the first person that I bring in to bring into the team to be the guy that I'm going to develop into being the number one of his own team at some point. I yeah. hope the way that's that's the way it's going to go. But the only way you can make that happen is by being completely honest and, and putting them steps forward for them to, you know, to become that. Because yeah. you sell it in a false way and they're going to go down a different path, I imagine. Is there the hardest point of employees? We've talked about so many of the good points there. And I know you've said some bad experiences, but is there a downside to having employees that you've noticed? You know, not not technically with the ones that you've had, but just whether it's reliability or, you know, breaking of equipment, you know, not taking care. What's the worst thing that you've been able to see from having employees in the business? Oh, geez. Here comes another book from Jack Churchman. That that, yeah no I've seen it all if I'm totally honest with you I've seen I think coming from the military you can see through a lot and um, anyone that's worked with with me in the past or for me within what I'm doing now will know that uh, honesty with me is the only thing I care for if you turn up at work and you say Jack mate I've had a skinful I'm, I'm not my best I'll find you something appropriate to do um, obviously I'm not going to send you on site in a school, but you know, yeah. um, we, we all do these things. It happens. If someone smashes up a 40 grand bit of kit, uh, and this has been on a video. So, um, <laughs> if someone hits a 40 grand bit of kit down the ditch, the moment they lie and say, oh, oh no, it was this and that. If, if they're not honest, then, then that, that don't sit with me. But as, if they're honest, then it happens. We all make mistakes. Mm. Um, you know, it's a piece of kit. No one was hurt. Don't really care. Um, move on. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've seen it all. Um, I've had to deal with some really, really strange experiences. Um, I think the biggest hurt for me is probably um, the lying about it. So I bought a, I'm going to go into a story. I, they'll probably never listen to this because they probably hate me. Um, <laughs> but, um Yeah. I had a van that I bought off of a friend uh, after I basically had three vehicles go down um, in a sequence of bad events. And a a friend sold me a van and it had a tracker on it. And I didn't know that it had a tracker on it. Um, And it was a brand new van. Uh, He actually runs a vehicle garage, stuck a brand new clutch in it, stuck a gearbox in it for me. It was a mint van. I was really lucky. It was in COVID times. I paid probably, you know, three grand for it and it was worth maybe six or seven he really helped me out he could see that i was struggling um and yeah about a week later a clutch went on it and um you know we thought okay the van's not been used in a while i'll stick another one in it another grand and a half or whatever it was a week and a half later clutch went on it Um, and i was sending it back to my friend to repair it and um you know obviously he's got that element of hang on a minute are my techs doing over one of my mates here um so he I, i did not know that it had a tracker on it and he still had a tracker subscription and he's looking at it and it turns out that the van was being misused and it was no clutch was being used and it was being smashed into gear and doing 60s and 30s and 
harsh breaking and all of this. And um, I had that conversation with the person and said, look, uh, I don't want to embarrass anyone here. This this is uh, your opportunity just to say, like, if you've got an issue in the workplace, I will fix it tomorrow. Um, I wasn't working with them day to day. So I, yeah. I, 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 um, I uh, couldn't see it being like maybe an issue against me or or anything um so yeah we had that conversation no 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 everything's fine i really love the job blah 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 this that, and the other so i put it on the back burner thought to myself we'll wait a week see what happens van got fixed came back same thing um and i pulled him on it and just said look please be honest with me i've really not got the time or energy to deal with this you know what's on my plate let's just have a big boy conversation um and we had a conversation and it was no um i don't know what i i i, I don't know it, it, it's just a rubbish van blah 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 and then the words that came out of their mouth was if i blow this van up i'll get a new one um wow yeah and that was that uh i had a conversation with him uh, i left the door very open i said look all i want is an apology and the truth and uh you know we'll stick you back at work as as per normal and i never yeah. heard from, i never heard from them again um and i always get told that i'm too too fair and and too nice so um from my other employees they're kind of saying look you should have done this you should have done that but i can't just cut someone off no um but yeah so, so was that him burning out the clutch on purpose to try and get rid of that van so it's funny because um one of the younger lads that had just joined um he was a really shy lad um and um he came up to me one day shortly after this had happened and said jack look i've got something to tell you i said look whatever you tell me is in confidence i'm not going to mention it it will never come out of my mouth again um you know i'm not going to use this information to make a decision and he told me uh that yeah it was openly talked about within when they're driving about that if they smash this one up they'll get a nice shiny new one well so yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've seen it all. Yeah, um, you know yeah. what costs a business thousands. You know what I mean. In in the long, I mean, getting clutches clutches replaced isn't exactly the cheapest of jobs either. So, I've actually added it up. So year one <laughs> when we went, year one when we went limited, I probably spent about forty three grand in misuse of kit. So that's why it's so important to um, ensure that the recruiting process is correct and. Uh, that they share the same values and again i really don't care if kit gets broken and ash will um back me up on this you know he come from a really really strict uh business where if you scratched a bit of paint they would bill you for a full job and i remember the first time a bit it was a strimmer head snapped it was just due to um kind of age of the strimmer head and came up to me all sheepish and i said mate it's big boy rules at cut crew if uh if you if you're honest and whatever i really don't care yeah honestly i've seen it all i it's got to the point where i haven't got the energy to waste on remedial situations if i can fix it fix it move on Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just when the honesty is broken that um hurts yeah and that's it that i suppose that's when there'll be a problem isn't it if if you've got someone that's happy to lie about it but you know it does seem that half the thing with employees is one you know paying them correctly trusting them and give them a, a bit of an incentive to move forward and be like, you know, on the dream of the business. 
But, you know, especially that selection process, like you say, as Jack spoke about last week, you know, doing it to to a thorough thorough point start to finish can literally make the difference. And, you know, with everyone listening now, I'm learning this. You know, if you're a solo owner-operator, I'm learning at the same time as you, you know. All the people that I kind of connect with, to an extent, are either solo or they've got one employee. Anything grown past that point is all pretty new information to me so I, I can tell you now by being able to share these stories and stuff Jack it, it will help a lot of people and to be able to I think Jack put it last week is that you know if you can if someone can tell you the things where they missed out or lost money or never made money or made mistakes you know it'll save you so much time so yeah. you know these points are massively massively appreciated but moving forward now in uh, my next topic here which is equipment now, equipment's a, a topic that I think everyone, you know, enjoys talking about and hearing. Really, in this game, you know, we like we like to like what we're using and we want to also know more about it in a lot of the sense. But for yourself, how's equipment changed for you and what's the type of equipment you now use in your business? Uh, yeah, so um, I think I mentioned last time I was on, on uh, the podcast with John, I started off with kind of uh, just a small... Um, 52 inch right stander uh the next machine was a 73 inch cub cadet uh z7 pro series um yeah then moved on to a hustler super 104 i think there's only three in europe Uh, and now obviously we've got a tractor as well so um as we've kind of got more acreage that we've had to look after um we've been able to buy different bits of kit for different specific jobs I think what's a key thing as well, isn't it? Because, you know, having the right bit of kit for the right job, it, you know, is night and day. But how did you, how did you find them changes? You know, was it, obviously it's a a massive shout of efficiency, you know, being efficient in the job that you're carrying out. But to, to most people, you know, a 52 inch machine is a, a pretty, you know, decent size zero turn as it is. How, what made you then go from using that into like stepping up to the Cub Cadet? And then in uh you know all the way up towards a tractor where you are now, was yeah. it similar area? I know you're saying changing areas, but is it still similar areas that you would have took the fifty two inch on back in the day? Uh yeah, again we've still got jobs where the the fifty two inch is probably our most used machine, especially for uh, parish councils and uh, kind of outlining the the fields nooks and crannies that you can't get into. So if you're thinking about buying your first commercial machine you'll you'll uh, definitely use it in the future regardless of kind of what growth period you go through um but for us it was you know i was spending i spoke about it last time i was on here at my first ever uh, football club i was spending all day cutting uh like four or five football pitches on a 52 inch stander um so yeah there was just again the same as as um kind of investing in an employee if you invest in more efficient kit you've got more time to make money. Um, and that's always kind of been my standpoint with the kit. Once we're at a limit with a machine, um, we'll either upgrade um, or um, buy a larger machine and keep the other machine within the fleet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how did the tractor come into the mix? Because, I mean, having a tractor is such a versatile bit of equipment, I think, you know, whether it was... I know you spoke about it on your recent videos about, you know, it can get to the point where you can do your gritting with it, you know, yeah. in different bits and bobs. Obviously, it does open up that 
that door, I suppose, doesn't it, of these, you know, bigger areas. What is the width of cut on the tractor? Um, so it's uh, 5.2 metres. Um, well, 4.8 if you've got your overlap and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it was a, uh, it was a, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a want or, an, well, it was a want and a need because I bloody love tractors. But <laughs> for me, so we was at the point in business where um, I had me going out uh, on my own doing work and I had a, a two technician team going out. And I was at the point where we were like basically 80% capacity. So um, I only had maybe 20% to play with for ad hoc work or um, extra work. So I was getting to the point where I was ready for my next growth period. Um, And I sat down and to replicate what we'd already done. So uh, maybe a pickup truck, a trailer, um, a 52 inch machine, all your hand tools, a pedestrian mower um and then maybe a wide area mower as well i was talking at maybe 150 160,000 pounds worth of investment yeah um which is obviously a massive risk so um i kind of sat down um we sat down together me and ash and said like what sites can we kind of trim uh trim time down on um and we both agreed that if, if we got a, a tractor um we wouldn't need to employ anyone else because we can have our mowing route and then we can have one of the teams that's already in place follow on um, and do the hedge work, the line marking, the outfield areas that the tracks couldn't get to. Um, so for us, it was just about dropping that um, threshold of work we could take on. So we went from around 80% capacity due to the time we was having to spend on the mowers. Yeah. Um, and we cut that right down, just one person in a mower, obviously doing a lot more acreage, a lot quicker. You know, we've turned kind of jobs that would take us four, three and a half, four hours on a Hustler. And a Hustler is a quick machine. It's a, um, it's a 104 inch cut. Um, does uh, cuts at 11 mile an hour. We'll do a football pitch in around eight to 10 minutes. It's a quick machine. Um, so if we've got a site that takes three and a half hours on a Hustler and it's now only taking me an hour on a tractor, you can see kind of the efficiency um, has improved massively and it just brought that capacity down uh, and it increased the capacity to take on more work. But I, I suppose that's a perfect way to put it, isn't it? It is by that levelling up is what I would probably like to call it. Of, yeah. I really yeah. like the way that you sit down and you assess, right, is this is this a period where we need an extra pair of hands or is this where a bit of kick can fill that space? And yeah. I suppose, you know, you'd like to think a bit of kit would cause a bit less problems. You know, I, yeah, I would like no, to believe. Well, obviously, um, so I looked at renting uh, a tractor for a week to to, to, to try it, and that never happened. Um, <laughs> I, I delved in um, because the that's another reason why I went for a tractor, because some of the higher rates in, in our area, are you can pay anywhere from kind of 800 pound um for three days up to maybe two grand to hire a tractor for a week um so in my head i was like right if all goes wrong i can just hire this tractor out in uh, i don't know there'll be a local farmer that needs a a grain runner or something like that anything yeah Um, there'll always be work for a tractor um another reason is we sat down and we kind of passed on a lot of work to um 
other companies within the area that could provide verti draining services because obviously we'd always get clients ask can you do it and i'll say yes i can but i've not got the equipment um i've got the knowledge i've got the know-how i just don't have the equipment yet um so it, it means that the we've probably passed in excess of maybe i don't know 60 to 100k's worth of work out outsource yeah. that um so that's another thing that i'm looking at bringing into the business now um so yeah it's just a very versatile machine um if we got wide scale fence uh, erection and obviously we can get a post knocker on the back and auger on the back of it you name it we can kind of uh, implement that machine so rather than outlaying 150 to 160 grand plus my wages so we're talking maybe a 210 220 grand investment i can just go out and spend 40 grand on a on a tractor and a, a second hand cutter yeah yeah so I, I mean i don't know much about the i mean the tractor sort of side of it it's something i'd love to bring in one day and what you know i'd be aiming for but it's not somewhere where i've i've been closely even looking into yet what can yeah. I mean? I know you can go ridiculous on, you know, the price of tractors. For yeah, the type, yeah. For the, I mean, it's literally crazy how much you can spend on them. But for for the type of work that say we would require them for, you know, more the cutting side on, you know, sports fields like thereof, big yeah. open green spaces. What sort of price range are you looking at, second hand um, to new, you know, for something like that? I mean, you can pick up, so we've got a, a medium a tractor. It's kind of a 120 horsepower. Obviously, you can get a smaller tractor than that. You can get a bigger tractor than that. Um, you, you you can probably get a second-hand compact, which is smaller than what we've got for anywhere from 10 to 20 grand. Um, a medium tractor, kind of the size we've got. Uh, anywhere, a, a used one, anywhere from uh, 15 to, you know, the sky's the limit, 40, 50 grand for a second-hand one. Yeah, but you've then got to think about turf tires. You, you're talking another five to ten grand for them. Uh, then you've got your attachment. So, yeah, it, it literally, as you said, the sky is the limit. Yeah, it's it soon adds up. But I suppose you know when you put it in the context of what you've been saying about you know to be able and it doesn't sound like much to be able to sh- shave you know two and a half to three and a half hours out yeah. of your day. It doesn't sound like a lot really, but when you yeah, know, you it put them in. But... Week by so, week and day by day. It's, it's so we price, we price by acreage. Um, as I said, most people in the in- industry are pricing fixed prices for jobs now rather than an hourly rate. Um, so the quicker we can do that acreage, obviously, uh, as long as the fuel consumptions are okay and we're not paying too much for the asset finance on it, then it, it, it's more profit for us. So if we talk in terms of acreage, that hustler was probably doing um within those three four hours it was probably doing 30 to 40 acres um so yeah with a tractor we can mitigate that a lot quicker Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think what shows the power in equipment selection doesn't it uh you know you've got a good array i mean anyone that follows you on social media through youtube they'll be able to see that you know you're very proud of your equipment in that week by week you know through the normal seasons you've got a different bit out nearly every week so it's fantastic to see uh but what is you know in the future what have you got your eye on what what can take your business from where it is now where you you know it seems like you're extremely sufficient you know what what is the next step i'm not gonna lie to you sam i'm on a ban mate um (laughs) the accountant and the wife you're on a ban right i just understood what you said there 
<laughs> no, yeah, I'm on a ban. I'm on a ban. Um, I think with me is I've um I've spoke about this openly before. We've had really intense growth periods, um, where I've gone out and spent a lot of money on kit, and we've kind of uh, grown extremely quickly, kind of um to fill up a market in the area. I've seen a gap and I've gone for it. Um, no holds bars, and it is time for me to slow down, um, and just kind of recoup that that uh bank balance a bit for a year but um if we were talking theoretically and my wife wasn't listening and um you know there would be no dramas with me going out and buying kit i'd probably go out and get myself a brand new voltra tractor um uh yeah and definitely i'd probably explore a flail uh in terms of a hedge cutter yeah um, for the back of it um, but yeah, I, I think this year, just anything that will streamline the business, basically, um, maybe next year a gritter for, for the winter. Um, but yeah, we're we're in a really good position at the minute to tackle what's in front of us, some of the contracts we've won for this year as well. Um, so yeah, I just need to sit down a little bit and um, recoup some of that yeah. investment. I, I like how I asked you for one piece and you easily just went through three and four there just <laughs> Mate, honestly because it wasn't I, on your mind yeah <laughs> honestly i could if you gave me a million pounds right now if i won the euro millions a cheeky million pounds right now it would be gone yeah absolutely be gone. 12 hours yeah. I've, already, I've, I've already got the deal set up just yeah. waiting for funding <laughs> all just saving the shopper basket good to go I, well i think that's it you know um, it, it's a clever way to think about it because you know, what you've done this year on a lot smaller of a scale, you know, I did last year, I invested quite a lot. And then this year I was like, right, I'm, you know, batting down the hatches. I'm not going to spend any, like, you know, unless something breaks, I ain't fixing anything. I am, you know, I'm set. And, you know, I've had my most expensive year. So what was yeah, yeah. what was meant to be my, my most sort of tied in and just get ready for, you know, going full time in March, you know, it, it's came to a point and that just hasn't happened. But you know, we like to think, like you say, with productivity and having the ability to be able to offer services, I think is a key thing. And you're not always going to be in the right time. I think it's as much as the same, like when you were saying yeah. about employees, sometimes you've kind of just got to take the step and go, you know what, I've got to trust that this is going to be beneficial. I think it is, you know, I've done my research. I just need to pull the trigger on it. And yeah, uh, I think... <laughs> you've you've summed it up really well and i've been able to emotionally detach from finances um i I really used to get like worried about money and i just don't know which is a good and bad thing my wife thinks it's the worst thing about me um but if you was to sit down and just crunch the numbers from last year and just look at where you could have saved time which in essence is money and profit if you was to buy i don't know i know that you've just bought a trailer but if you was to buy that earlier mm. um how much money would you have saved and i always look at things like that so i'm sat there thinking hang on a minute i'm actually wasting money not buying a tractor or not buying this or not buying that so yeah. um sometimes you've just got to not think about hang on can i afford it can i afford not to yeah um if you're sat there doing pedestrian like large scale stuff with a pedestrian mower can you afford to keep doing that you're going to get pushed yeah. out of the market someone down the road's going to come along with a, a ride on you're going to get pushed out of that next thing you know you're out of that out of that job so yeah. i'd always ask the question can 
not can I afford it? Can I afford not to? Um, and then ask the questions of, right, is this the right time financially to buy that piece of equipment? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, I really would um, spark people to go out there and just take a look and see where they could have saved money by actually spending a bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it sounds a lot like how I think of things. And, you know, as my girlfriend would put it, you know, she says, you'll justify anything. You know, <laughs> and, and, and it's this ability and, and it's a powerful ability to have is that, you know, in any situation, if I think that I need something, you know, I'll give myself a hundred reasons why I need that thing, you know, and it's, it's all stuff that I, the important part about this is that I can make sense of that. Like, you know, it's just, it's not just made up. It's not just out of nowhere. I'm literally, I've got evidence in front of me and it's like a passion to find that evidence when it comes to buying yeah. something or, or, you know, justifying something. And, you know, it's something she states always about me. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the way it is. You need to take that step. You know, it's definitely on board there. Now I know, well, I, I would like to think I probably know what you're going to say here, but what has been the worst investment in kit that you've had? Oh, God. Um, yeah. So I know that what you think I'm going to say is really the robot. <laughs> but if I told you, so I obviously leased that machine from Turf Tank. Um, and if anyone from Turf Tank is listening to this podcast, <laughs> please reply to my emails, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a lease. That one's on lease. Yeah, yeah. So you can't purchase them. You can't. You can't buy them uh, okay. for whatever for whatever reason. But um, that machine paid for maybe two or three years worth of itself within a couple of weeks on initial line marks last year. So wow. it's probably not the worst investment. Um, oh God, I'd say my worst investment is probably my tipper trailer. Okay. Um. The only reason I say that is so I had a really, 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 really nice trailer that got written off by a drunk driver. Shout out to them for ruining my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I was put in a position where I had to go out and get a trailer and it was in COVID times. And the only thing I can get hold of was this 15 grand tipper trailer. Um, brilliant bit of kit for the first six weeks started falling apart. Um, so yeah, it's it's probably like a trailer's just a trailer. like. To me, I'm just numb to numb to it. So that's probably my worst investment. Um, it doesn't really save me a lot of time or money. There's other trailers out there that could do the same for half the price. Yeah. So yeah, probably that. But yeah, I'm definitely not happy with a turf tank. I've got yeah. <laughs> the I'll thing end up is, in a legal suit if I carry yeah. on. <laughs> the thing is, it it seems brilliant. You know, you know, you're Lane Mark and Roy there, but. It just seems like, you know, as all things have pros and cons, the cons are pretty heavy during this time of the year. I suppose yeah. I would like to think that, apart from the GPS issues, if you want to call them that, that in a better season, spring, summer, autumn, you may be a bit better, you know, and have I, I a can't even of... say it is. I've run it for two years now, and there's always problems. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, so we've spoke about it before about, so one of my main thing for reducing staff down from six people to what we've got now was efficiency. So obviously I'm really quick at marking out foot, uh, football pitches or any pitch by the old school way of taping it and, and all of that. I'm really quick at it. The only reason why we got a robot is for efficiency. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every time we get that thing out, there's always something, always something. And um, it really 
frustrate. I don't want to talk too much about it because I can end. <laughs> I can see myself getting in a right dicky Settle. situation. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's got to the point now. I'm going to be totally open and honest about it. I've not paid the last two invoices and sent emails because I'm like, mate, look, please just someone reply and sort this out. It wouldn't bother me if there was a fix. I'd carry on with it, but it's to the point now where I'm exploring other options and um ready to take it to the next stage but yeah it's a shame because yeah. it has made me a lot of money um but it's to the point now where you know i can make more money doing something else so i've got time for it yeah no that's fair enough now you know we spoke a lot about your journey here you know from where you kind of came from coming out of service and like going through these different pain points within your within the business as a whole whether it was you know to start even in the first place and going to landscaping and dropping back down and going into sort of grounds maintenance as a whole, yeah. going into high employees, shortening them down. You know, there's a lot of different points here. Now, what is the point now where you spoke about having sort of a five-year plan, 10-year plan and splitting them down? What is what is the vision for Cook Crew Limited in the next five years? Where do you see it going? What's the goal? Um, so in the next five years, I'd like to kind of just tackle our local local region um it sounds really cliche but i want to be the first people that that come to mind um i think as a business obviously meet those growth periods uh try and consistently grow maybe 40 percent a year if we can um and yeah and then see where where that takes us whether i have to implement regional managers or or uh, operations managers Definitely within the next five years, I want to try and sort out a business development manager. Um, I'm one of those guys that has to be on the tools for my own own sake. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd really like a, a business development manager just to go out and do those sales and, and things like that. And, yeah, just naturally grow, I think. Yeah. Um, again, keep bringing uh, content on, on, on platforms. And uh, a big thing for me is... Uh, Part of my story is when I left the military, I had to move to an area that I knew no one. So uh, there were certain questions that I had that no one could answer. So I genuinely want to pick this stuff out to help other people. Um, as we've spoke about before, you know, the revenue from YouTube is rubbish. So yeah. that, that's, that's not an incentive. I generally, if I can help someone, I will. But yeah, I think just the natural growth um just hone in at what we're good at. We're good at commercial grounds maintenance. We're good at sports club maintenance and just push more of the same, I think. No, oh, awesome. I mean, it's good growth periods as well to understand that and know what you want to hit. You know, 40% growth margin is, you know, you can look at that and go, well, that's, you know, that's a big difference, you know, to do year yeah. on year and to implement the right kind of stuff, you know, within and around your business, not just on the tools, but in other places is definitely something that's that's really interesting. One point, the the lockup that you have, I mean, you've yeah. you've got like a tall door lockup, don't you? Yeah, if I remember rightly. Do do they come with offices inside? Like, do you already have a place that you could situate, you know, office stuff, that type of thing that may work primarily, primarily? Uh, no, no. So we've I've got um I have got outsourced admin, so they work from their own offices. Okay, um, but no, the main reason for us is just in our local area if you kind of if i wanted to bolt an office onto what we've got already um we're talking maybe an extra grand a month okay uh, so yeah no i've got the ability to put a mezzanine uh floor in where we are but to be honest with you it's not really a nice 
environment um, for someone to work in in a unit. So yeah, again, that will probably be within a five year plan is find premises with with a unit and stuff. But what we're doing at the minute is enabling us to win more contracts because we've kept that price down, if that makes sense, all the yeah. overhead down. So I'm quite happy to um, put a stint in on the laptop in the van. Um, you know, get it done. Yeah. As I said, outsourcing admin, so no need for that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think in the future maybe, but not right now. No, absolutely. It's always interesting. I think it's one of them questions where it's always great to hear where people is because although people usually want to grow, you know, it's always a different type of rate. You know what's in someone's head. They want to, you know, whether it's the percentage that they want to grow by or push into different regions or not fussed about that and they just want to bring on one more employee by the next, you know, in the next year and have a team of three in the next five. You know, everyone's kind of got this goal, but sometimes it's it's employee focused or equipment focused or money focused. There's so many different ways and it's it's always interesting to hear what people's got to say about it. But coming into our last question now, Jack, and it's by far the easiest one, and that is how can people find you online and follow your journey even more? Uh, so you can find us on YouTube at Cut Crew Limited, Instagram at Cut Crew Limited, Facebook at Cut Crew Limited. Happy days, and you also do a bit on LinkedIn, don't you? I feel oh, like I, I feel do, like you've yeah. you've got your your foot well and truly dipped into into the water there. Of uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Jack Page Churchman. Uh, yeah, I've gone a bit quiet on LinkedIn at the minute because um, I don't know if you've noticed in behind the blade me uh, mentioning that people were trying to steal my work. Oh, what? Um, no, no, I missed yeah. that. I had a local contractor calling up my clients saying that they knew me and basically saying, um, look, I know Jack, he's too busy to do you now, so uh, I'll take that on. No um, way. And it all stemmed from LinkedIn, so I've gone quiet on LinkedIn. Wow, that is yeah. cheeky. Uh, wow. I've dealt with it very well. Uh, yeah that, that's for a private did. conversation <laughs> yeah i bet you did <laughs> i bet you that wasn't a big boy chat but um no, no so i've never actually met them which is the strangest thing but yeah shout outs to you if you're listening i hope you're going red and sweating under the collar absolutely <laughs> right well everyone i just want to thank you for joining us on this week's episode i hope again you've been able to take plenty away from it and you know hearing these stories of of how people's developing where they're coming from if you're not already in the business trying to progress, then, you know, and if you're sitting on the sidelines ready to take that initial step, I hope all it does is give you a view of, you know, how people have made it through the years and that, you know, all the, all the good parts look really nice and shiny and lovely and that, you know, they're what you want to have. That comes with a lot of lows. And every time we've had someone on the podcast, someone's been able to say a negative about some negative experience or something that they found that was difficult. So, it's it's a main key point to take away and I hope you can continue to learn and, and experience alongside, you know, with myself and the other audience that listen along. So anyway, thank you for joining us this week. Please remember to look in them show notes, follow along down 